0: morning, church. It is good to see you, even though I'm eating a little bit of crow after that Cowboys game last week. Um, I did enjoy watching the Princess Bride, though, a lot more than I did the game. Um, So to all you 49ers fans, It's good to see you guys this morning. It's good to be back with you and get another opportunity to to share with you. For those of you that are are connecting with us online, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, worship with us, and we're grateful to have you uh, worshiping with us, even through digital means. Uh, We're going to continue on with our series this morning, uh, talking through our our vision statement. Uh, Last week, I shared with you that uh, I love my family, right? Uh, Just a little bit more about me. I shared with you I love... Uh, The Cowboys. I love the Princess Bride. Uh, These aren't the only things in life that I love. I love my wife. I love my wife a lot. Uh, As a matter of fact, she sent me an encouraging text before I came out on stage this morning, and and that's just who my wife is, and it makes it easy uh, to love her. Um, I love the Dallas Cowboys. As a matter of fact, I love anything related to sports or competition, right? If there's a score at the end of the event and someone wins or loses, I'm, I'm in, right? I enjoy that stuff. Um, I love board games. Uh, my family, we love board games. Uh, my wife would say that I have an addiction to board games. I just think it's a healthy enjoyment. Uh, we're, we're, get, we're in the process of moving, and uh, so we boxed up our, our board game closet, and, and it counted as I was packing up all the games. We have 65 board games. Um, and it's only limited to 65 because that's all the closet will hold. Um, So that's why we're building a new house, to make more room for my board games. Um, At least that's, my wife doesn't know that yet, but that's my plan. Um, I love coffee, right? Coffee is a gift from God. I absolutely love coffee. I love books. I love bookstores. I love libraries, anything associated with books. Uh, Fantasy fiction books. I'm a big Tolkien and C.S. Lewis fan. Um, I love dystopian literature. I love breakfast foods right? Who's with me on breakfast issues? I could eat breakfast three times a day, right? It is by far the best. Um, and I could go on and on and on talking about things that I love, but if you haven't guessed it yet, today we're talking about love, right? Love, love, true, love. Some of you went and watched the movie last week. Good for you. Uh, we're talking about love today, right? It, it's it's uh, all we need is love, is what, what the Beatles said, right? If you're, if you're a Frozen fan, love is an open door. Um, we're talking about love today as we continue our vision series. Our vision at Real Life Church is this. We exist to be a people of prayer, living out God's word, loving Jesus with all that we are, while sharing Jesus with all we have. Uh, we're part three of our, of our vision series. Uh, first week, uh, Pastor Joel talked about what it means to be a people of prayer, that, that prayer isn't just something that we do as a church, it's who we are right? We, we believe that that nothing great is accomplished in the kingdom of God apart from prayer. So we're going to be a people that seeks God through prayer. That's who we are as a church. Last week, we talked about what it means to, to live out God's word, to to obey him and all that he says, right? Because uh, this word that, that was given to us is not just a set of, of instructions, but it's, it's a way that, that we can get to know God, but also as we follow these instructions, it's for our own good. right It's not just a list of rules that got that, hey, you know, let's keep them in line. I, I've, I've learned as, as, as in my life and in my, my 40 years of life that, that when I do what this book says, life is better. When I stray from this book and do things my own way, life gets a little rough right? And so, you know, we, we want to, as, as a way of responding to God's um, grace and his mercy and his forgiveness in our lives, we want to be obedient to his word. And today we're going to be talking about loving Jesus with all that we are, right? This is one of the foundational aspects of the Christian life. And, and however, one thing we need to understand is it's going to look a lot different than my love for, for the things that I just mentioned, Right? My love for God should look a lot different than my love for the Dallas Cowboys, which right now isn't very loving. Uh, right? My love for God should look a lot different than my, my love for coffee or breakfast foods. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What does it mean to truly love God with all that we are? If you have your Bible or your Bible app, uh, please uh, find Matthew. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 22. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. If you have a paper Bible and and you're looking for Matthew, it's about two-thirds of the way. Uh, You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you have a digital Bible, it's super easy to find. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 34 uh, through 40. Now, give a little context to this. Uh, In this passage, Jesus is having some uh, lively conversations with some of the religious leaders of the day. As a matter of fact, uh, they've come to to question Jesus, to ask him these questions. Uh, One of the questions was, was, what about paying taxes to Caesar? Should, should we do that? Another one was about resurrection, and, and, and if a woman is married five different times, who will she be married to in, in the resurrection? And, and what they were trying to do is they were trying to trap Jesus, right? They were trying to, to set this trap for him to get him to say something uh, so that they could use against him in the future. And so they, they were asking him these, these crazy questions that that really was not out of, out of a, a stance or a heart of, of curiosity or, or genuine um, concern for the truth. It was just so they could trap him and they could, they could trip him up. Now, here's one thing that, that I want to say about questions and doubts. Uh, many of us grew up in a uh, church tradition where it was not okay to question God right? It was not okay to have questions. It was not okay to have doubts. Uh, but the reality is, uh, that's not what Jesus is, is, is doing here by, by shutting these people down. He's not saying don't have questions, don't have doubts. As a matter of fact, uh, church is the best place to come when you have questions and when you have doubts, right? If you're genuinely seeking truth, this is a place where we find truth. It's okay to have questions. I mean, read, read the scriptures, read the scriptures, all these people in, in, in the history of the world that had questions about God, that doubted God, and, and he was big enough to answer their questions and big enough to answer their doubts, right? It is okay to, to have those questions and doubts as long as we're seeking to find the truthful answer. Where people get mixed up is when they, they have the questions and the doubts, but they're not really into the truth, and so they just stop there, Right? Church, if, if we can't come to church with our questions and our doubts, uh, where can we go? Right? Definitely not Twitter. If you've ever been on Twitter, that's the worst place to go if you have questions and doubts about Christianity. But the questions that we see in, in this passage and the question that we're going to be looking at today, um, it wasn't coming from a place of, of genuine seeking. Right? They, they weren't looking for truth. They weren't looking for answers. They were using the questions, and hopefully Jesus' answer, to to give them a reason that they could silence Him, right? And to do away with Him, and and so that they didn't have to worry about Him anymore. But Jesus, knowing what they were about, He answered their questions in a way that that dumbfounded them, but gives us some tremendous amount of truth. So let's take a look at Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 uh, through 40. It says this, now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together, and one of them, an expert in the religious law, asked, them, they asked him this question to test him. Again, he's asking Jesus. He says, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets depend on these two commandments. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, that you chose to, to leave it for us, to, to help us to get to know you, to help us to understand better how to live a Christian life, to help us to see everything that you've done for us. And Father, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us the words that you want us to hear, Father. And that you would use this time, your word, with the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us. That we wouldn't leave this place the same people that we were when we arrived, but that we would be transformed because we met the living God that created the universe here in this place today. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So the religious leader came to Jesus and he was asking questions about the law. If you're unfamiliar with what he's talking about, he's referring to the Old Testament law. Right in the Old Testament, there was all these laws that governed how they were supposed to live life. Uh, you may have heard of the Ten Commandments, right? A lot of us think that the Ten Commandments was it—that those were the ten rules that they were supposed to follow. But in reality, those were just kind of the highlights. or or a summary of all the rules that they were supposed to be following. You know, the Ten Commandments are are a list of of good things, right? Not having any other gods before Jehovah. uh, Do not use his name in vain. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not uh, lie. Do not steal. uh, Honor your father and mother, right? These are all really good things. uh, but, But it goes beyond the Ten Commandments. There were actually 613 different laws contained in the Old Testament right? And that governed every aspect of life for, for these people. There were laws about worshiping God, how to worship God, where to worship God, how not to worship God. Uh, there were laws about safety. There, there's even a law that says if you build a house and it has a flat roof, you have to build a barrier along the roof. So if your neighbor is up there and they, they, it keeps them from falling off your roof, right? My law would have been don't let your neighbor on the roof, but, you know, for whatever reason, they thought that it would be better to, to put a barrier around there. Uh, there were laws about how to handle infectious diseases, right, which is tremendous for, for a culture uh, that old. Uh, laws about marriage and family, literally any aspect and every aspect of life was covered by these 613 different laws. And for hundreds of years, the religious leaders being who they were and and having a deep um, uh, love of the law itself, right there, they they spent hours debating this very question. Which is the greatest law? Which is the greatest law? Because they realized that it's impossible for everyone to, to... follow all 613 without any issues. And so they created the greater laws and the lesser laws. These are the more important. These are the less important. Then they would debate which is the greatest law. And so they come to Jesus. They said, okay, we'll get him. Right, This is something that we've not been able to solve for hundreds hundred of years, so we'll, we'll trap him in this. Because if he says the wrong thing, we can claim that that's blasphemy, and, and we could actually have him executed, which is what they ended up doing anyways. Right? They, they couldn't find any fault in him, so they made stuff up later on. By the way, that's a spoiler alert if you're not familiar with the story of Jesus. So they try and trap him, and Jesus... <sighs> I love it when, when, when the Pharisees come and question him because his answers are, are so on point. So what Jesus does is, is rather than just, just giving them a straight answer, he actually quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, now this particular passage that he quotes, Deuteronomy 6, uh, he, is, is from uh, what's known in, in Jewish life as the Shema, right? It is a prayer that the Jewish people pray Twice a day and have for for thousands of years. Uh, one scholar, Jewish scholar, said that the the Shema is the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. Right? It is the absolute central part of their belief. And it's something that, that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, would have been super familiar with. And Jesus says, I'll answer your question. He says, The question is this, and he quotes he quotes the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And by answering them in this way, what, what Jesus was, was telling these religious leaders is that the answer was right in front of them this whole time. Right? They always debated, which is the most important law? What, how, how are we supposed to, to live our life? How do we prioritize all these different laws? And he's pointing out to them that, that the answer has been right here. You, you say these words twice a day. But apparently for, for them, all it was was words falling off their lips. and never penetrated to their, their understanding or their hearts. And so Jesus said the greatest law, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the most important commandment. He said the second one is like it, is to love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say everything written in the Old Testament right? Every law that's written, every book of the prophet, it all comes down to these two things, loving God and loving others. He says the entire law can be summarized with one word. That's love. That's love. Now, when we're talking about love, earlier I, I gave you a whole list of things that I love, right? I love my wife and I love tacos, but I do not love my wife and tacos the same amount, right? When we use the word love in, in our English language, there, there's a huge spectrum on, on what we mean by that word love, right? It can mean any number of things. Well, well, in the Greek, they actually have several different words for the word love. Um, in, in the Greek New Testament, there's two, but, but in the Greek language, they actually have four different words for the word love. The first word that they use for the word love is, is phileo, right? This is a brotherly love or or a familial love. The word phileo, it talks about a, a strong connection or emotional affection. It describes relationships that we have where, where people genuinely like and care for one another, right? The, you've heard of the, the city of, of Philadelphia, right? The city of brotherly love that it gets its name from phileo, from this Greek word meaning brotherly love. Now, this is the type of love you would have for, for a friend, Right? This is the type of love that you would have for somebody that, that is maybe kind of extended family, that, that you care for. Uh, but it's not the only word for love in in the Greek New Testament, nor is it the word for love that is used here. The word that's used in this particular passage that Jesus is using is agapeo. Maybe you've heard of the word agape. This is the verb form of the word agape. This is a a perfect love, right? A self-sacrificing, unconditional, fully devoted love. This is a type of love that that is used in Scripture to describe God's love for us. And any time in the New Testament we're talking about how we ought to love, of God, this is the word that is used, right? And it gives us that, this idea that it's, it's a much deeper love. It, it's not just a, a brotherly love. It's not just the same way that, that I, you know, phileo tacos, but I agape my wife, right? You see the difference there. And what Jesus was saying is, is it's this perfect, biblical, godly, divine love that we should have for him. That's what he's calling us to do. And we need to understand that that agape love has an emotional piece to it, right? There's an emotional side to it. Uh, A lot of times when we think of love in uh, our context or or in in our world, we we think of just these emotions that come up, which is why I could say I have a love-hate relationship with the Dallas Cowboys, right? Because right now my emotions are not very friendly towards them you weren't supposed to amen whoever did that. Goodness. I'm feeling a little beat up up here. Right? Agape love has an emotional component to it, right? We are supposed to love God with all we are that includes our emotions, but it's not just our emotions. Because if our love for God was just dependent on our emotions, guess what? Our emotions change. Does that mean that we don't love God? There are times, and I'm going to let you in on a little secret, there are times where I'm angry with God, right? Several years ago, my wife and I, we were told that we would never have biological children, and so we were going through the adoption process, and we found out that we were pregnant, so we had to put hit pause on the adoption process, and a few weeks into the pregnancy, we were told that we were going to have a miscarriage. That next week was the darkest week of my life. Guess what? I didn't feel in love with God. See, agape love is a feeling, but it's more than just a feeling. You see in the Bible, when we're told to love our enemies, the word agape is used, right? Does that mean that we're supposed to have warm, fuzzy feeling towards the 49ers? No. Sorry, guys, I'm bitter. So you're just gonna have to forgive me. Right? No, it doesn't doesn't mean that we're supposed to have warm, fuzzy feelings towards our enemies. It means something deeper than that. Agape love carries with it this idea of action, this duty to care for others more than ourselves. Right? So agape, yes, it has emotions, but it also has action. When we are told to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it's talking about a self-sacrificing love right, where we do things for other people, where we treat them as better than ourselves, where we care for their needs before our own needs. So yes, agape is emotion, but it's also action. But it's not just action, right? To truly understand agape love means to to treasure or to hold in the highest value. Right? In, in the New Testament, we see these, uh, these parables or these stories where, where someone finds a, a hidden treasure in a field and they go out and they sell everything they have so that they can buy that field, so they can have that treasure. Right? That's the type of love that Jesus is, is talking about. That's the type of love that we should have for him, that we should have for the Father. This, this love that treasures Jesus higher than, and more than anything else in our life. Yes, there's going to be emotions with it. Yes, there's going to be action associated with it. But it's making Jesus the most important and most valuable thing in our life. And what Jesus is doing here, and he's, he's doing something that's super important for us to understand that, that the, the religious leaders of that day totally missed. Jesus is telling them that Christianity and following Christ is more about a relationship than it is a religion right? He's setting up a distinction between a religion and a relationship. You see, a religion says, hey, follow all of these rules. Why? Because I said so. And that's what the the religious leaders of the day were doing. That's what what the Pharisees wanted to do. They wanted to follow the rules for the sake of following the rules. They loved the rules, and they missed the, the whole point of what Jesus was saying, Right? When we, when we look back at the Shema, Jesus is talking about a, a relationship. When he says, love the Lord your God, he's talking about a loving, an agape love, the self-sacrificial, a treasuring love, honoring Christ above everything else. And the religious leaders of that day completely missed it. They thought it was all about following the rules. And unfortunately, so many in, in our own day miss it too. Christianity is not now, nor has it ever been a religion, right? It's about a relationship. It's about this this relationship that we have with God where we can call him Abba, Father. It's this relationship that we have with God where we can call him friend, where we spend time with him just like we do anyone else. It's not just about following the rules. That's secondary, The primary thing is about this relationship that we get to have. And it's not just a New Testament concept either, right? As we look back through the Old Testament, we see all of these people in the Old Testament had a relationship with God, Adam and Eve, right? We we see that they had an intimate relationship with God. There's evidence in in Genesis chapter three, after they had sinned, when God is walking through the, the garden, that that was something that they did on a regular basis with him, right? How cool would that be? Just to go on an evening walk through through paradise with God, and that's what we see evidence of Adam and Eve having this personal relationship with Jesus, uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, on and on. All of these Old Testament people had a relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with God. All the people of Israel had a personal relationship with God. Right? He said, "I am your God; you are my people." They were his chosen people. They they were the people that he chose to manifest his presence with. right? The presence of God was was manifested with the Jewish people. They had a relationship with him. And what Jesus is saying here is, is that the lowest common denominator for any and all of the law is love. And it's all about a relationship right it's all rooted in a relationship you see the pharisees they they practice a loveless relationshipless religion for them it was all about following the rules they 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 had no aspect of love that could be found but jesus said you know it's all about love You're looking at these rules for the sake of the the rules and you treasure them and value them for the sake of of the rules themselves, but you miss that all of these laws, all of these rules point to one person and to one thing that God wants a relationship with us. And one of the things that we need to understand is that that Jesus wasn't removing the obligation or importance of the law. He was just reframing it in the context of relationships. Because one of the most important things that we need to understand is true of our uh, Christian walk, but it's also true if, like, if you're a parent, that when we have rules without a relationship, it leads to rebellion and resentment. Right? Some of you grew up in homes like this, right? You had all sorts of rules, but it lacked the relationship. And some of you experienced that resentment towards your parents and that rebellion towards your parents. And that's where the Pharisees were. They had all these rules, but they lacked relationship. But Jesus is saying it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. Right? And he wasn't doing away with the law. He was just reframing it and saying, hey, following these rules, following these laws, is actually for your benefit. Because I love you. You see, it's because of, of this relationship that David could write these words about the law. I, I don't know about you, but, but I, I, I've never written poetry or a love uh, poem about rules because that's just not who I am. But David understood that, that it's about that relationship. And because he had that relationship, he was a man after God's own heart. He could write this. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And it preserves one's life. The law da- set down by the Lord are reliable and impart wisdom to the inexperience. The Lord's precepts are fair and make one joyful. The Lord's commands are pure and give insight for life. The commands of, to fear the Lord are right and endure forever. The judgments given by the Lord are trustworthy and absolutely just. They're of greater value than gold, than even a great amount of pure gold. They bring greater delight than honey, even the sweetest honey from a honeycomb. Yes, your servant finds moral guidance there. Those who obey them receive a rich reward. Why was David able to say this? Because David had a relationship with God. And because he had a relationship with God, he understood these laws in the right context. David also says this in Psalm. He says, oh, how I love your law. All day long, I meditate on it. Your words are sweeter in my mouth than honey. Right? A lot of times I I think of David and the life and relationship that he had with Jesus or with God. And I think, man, I, I want to be like David. Right? I want to be known when I leave this world as a man after God's own heart. So Jesus said, the most important thing that you could do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Right? He's, he's giving us the formula. He said, he said, everything in scripture points to this one thing, to love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God. And he goes on and he gives us some qualifiers. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. And, and in the book of Mark, when Mark is, is writing about this, he also adds, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Right? So Jesus is giving us instructions on how, okay, we, we get that we're supposed to love God, but, but how do we do it? And uh, when I was uh, First time I ever preached on this passage, what I did was I, I looked at it because uh, I'm very good at compartmentalizing, right? My wife says that's a man thing. I don't know if it is, uh, but I, I think in compartments, everything has its little box. And so when I first, first time I ever preached this passage, I said, well, you know, what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart? What does it mean to love with all your soul? And, and we can parse it out like that, but, but Jesus never intended it for us to do that. What he was doing is he was trying to, to get across the point that we're supposed to love God with everything that we are right? With everything that we are. We're supposed to love God holistically. And that, that's our bottom line this morning. We're supposed to love the Lord with everything that we are, right? That, that's why it's part of our vision statement. We want to be a people of, of prayer. We want to be a people that, that live out God's word, but we, we also want to be a people that love Jesus with all that we are, all that we have, everything that we are, holistically, just like Jesus is talking about in this passage. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I like lists, right? I like top 25 lists or top 100 lists. Every time I see one on Facebook, I have to click on it to see, okay, did they put the right things on there? Usually they don't. So, I have to make my own list and then nobody else agrees with me. But we, 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 we like those types of lists. We like order and structure in our lives. We like to prioritize things. And a lot of times when we think about what it means to make God our, our top priority, we think that, that that puts God at the top of the list, right? We have God, then under God, we have family, work, friends, hobbies, whatever, however we want to, to order that list. But what Jesus is saying here is something different, right? He's saying that the list, should only read God, because if we love God with all that we are, guess what? We're gonna love our family in a godly way, right? And we're gonna we're gonna look at our work through through a godly perspective, and we're gonna look at our how we care and love for our friends through the, this picture of how God wants us to do it, right? If you you will picture with uh, with me for a moment a pie chart, like a lot of times when we're trying to figure out what it means to make God a priority. I, I'm a visual guy, so I think in terms of a pie chart. And sometimes we may think that that means God gets the biggest slice of the pie, right? And then everybody else gets a smaller slice. But what Jesus is saying here is that God gets the whole pie, right? To love Jesus with all that we are means that we, we give him our all. We give him our everything. And then through our love for Jesus, we prioritize things that Jesus prioritizes. And we love others the way that Jesus loves, right? Because he's so impacted and penetrated who we are that, that we live out that love in that way. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your, your soul, he's saying, just love Jesus with everything, with all that you are. And the reality is, I don't know about, about you, but, but that's intimidating, right? To think, man, how in the world can I love Jesus with everything that I am? And here's what we need to, to understand, is that God is not just the object of our love, but he's also the originator of our love. John 4, uh, 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. God himself is love, right? He doesn't just love us, he himself is love. So yes, he calls us to love him, but we grow in our love as we draw closer to him. Right? He goes on, John goes on a little later in in verse 19. He says, we love because he first loved us. Right? Just like last week, we talked about how our obedience is a response to the good things that God has done in our lives. The same is true in our love. We love God because he first loved us. Right? John 3.16, many of you that grew up in church, you know that verse, for God so loved the world right? Paul tells us that, that, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? Showing his love in, in action. So we love God, not, not just because he's, he's this dictator that's demanding us to love him. We love him because he first loved us. And our love is a response to his love for us. Right? He first showed us agape love, and now he asked for us to show that love Back to Him as a response for His love for us. But here's the the deal. We we can't have that agape love on our own, right? It is a fruit of the Spirit. Look at what, what Paul writes in Galatians. He said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So as we're commanded to to show this agape love to God and to show agape love to others, it's not something that God has just told us to do and and, and told us to figure it out on our own, right? As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we, we learn to love God in this way. We learn to love others in this way, right? It's not something that we can do on our own. It has to be God working in us and working through us for us to be able to love Jesus with all that we are. As I close here, I want to share five different ways for us to, to grow and to show our love for Jesus, right? Because, you know, a lot of us may be thinking, okay, that, that's great, and, and, and I'm on the path there, but, but how do I grow in my, re, my love relationship with Jesus? How do I grow or, or show it in, in, in ways that, that is, is understood or that, that honors and pleases God? And so I want to show five different things. The first way that we, we grow and show our love for Jesus is through worship, right? And specifically talking about corporate worship, about us gathering together as a people that's what we do here on Sunday morning right we gather together in corporate worship and we we worship God through song we worship God through through giving we worship God through reading and responding to his word i know for me that that in those moments where where i am feeling distant from god or or where i am am not feeling love for god one of the best cures for that in my life is to get into a worship service Right, Because we come and we meet God in this place. We meet God as we gather together. And worshiping with other people helps to, to grow our capacity of love for God. So make sure that, that you make worship a priority. Not because you, you have to be here, not because we, we want to count you for attendance, but because it will help you to learn to love Jesus with all that you are beyond worship, uh, we, we grow through, through Scripture, right? Through reading Scripture and meditating Scripture and memorizing Scripture, getting Scripture into our heart, right? Jesus left us this, this book that we call the Bible that, that is divinely inspired by Him, and, and it is a source of truth, it is a source of life, but it is through Scripture that we get to know God, right? That we get to read about his great love for us. So we get to read about all that he's done for us and, and how we can love him in return. So we, we, we grow and we show our love for Jesus through worship. We grow and show our love for Jesus through scripture. The third thing is through prayer, right? Again, we, we want to be a people of prayer. God meets us when we pray. Right, it's an opportunity for us to talk to God, but it's also an opportunity for us to sit silent before God and let Him speak into our hearts. Could you imagine, for those of you that are married, if your relationship with your spouse looked the same way that your relationship with God looked? Right, for a lot of us, that means that we would talk to our spouse five, 10 minutes a day. How long are you going to be married? if you only spend five or 10 minutes a day with your spouse? Probably not long, right? What about your friends? If you only spent five or 10 minutes a day with a friend, is is that friendship gonna be all that it can be? Probably not, right? Any relationship that we have with one another, uh, we, we develop that relationship through time. And one of the ways that we develop that relationship with God is through time spent in prayer, right? Just being with God, talking with God. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that can be intimidating. People are like, well, I don't know how to pray. And I love what Pastor Joel says on Tuesday mornings during, during our, our prayer gathering. He said, do you know how to talk? Yeah, okay, then talk to God. That's all prayer is. It's just talking to God, just like you would someone else. It's sharing your heart with God, and it's letting Him speak into your heart. So one of the best ways that we can grow in our love for Jesus is is through prayer. Uh, The fourth way that we can grow in our love for Jesus is through Christian community. We talked about this a lot lot last week, the importance of being involved in a small group. And you guys responded, by the way. Uh, Last week after after, uh, the the Sunday services, um, I got a message from Denise and she said, all but two of our small groups have been filled to capacity. Right? So when I talked about being involved in a small group last week, you guys responded. But guess what? We now need more small groups. Right? We need more places where we can find Christian community. And so maybe some of you guys, uh, God is calling to lead a small group. And I'd love to talk to you about that. I'm going to be out uh, in the lobby. Come see me after service. I'd love to talk to you more about what, what it means to be a small group leader and getting a small group started, because it is in that Christian community that we encourage one another, we we pour into one another, that, that we're around other people that love Jesus, and that rubs off on us. Right? I have a friend, uh, Charles, uh, and a couple friends, Charles and Nefesha Johnson, uh, that they they were us friends of ours, and when we lived in Texas, uh, we were in a small group together, and I always used to look at Charles and Ephesia and say, "Man, I want to one day love Jesus the way they love Jesus." And it inspired me to grow in my love for Jesus, and just being around them helped me to learn what it meant to love Jesus. Right? One of the best ways we can learn to love Jesus and at a deeper level is to be around other people that love Jesus right? It's infectious. You, you've been around those people, right? You, you've been around them and, and, and they leave or you, you leave. You're like, wow, that person loves Jesus. Sometimes they don't even have to say anything about Jesus. You just can tell by their life. Christian community is one of the most important ways that we can grow in our love for Jesus, but also help others to grow in their love for Jesus. And the final thing I want to share with you is, is this idea of sacred pathways. Uh, There's a book written by an author called Gary Smalley. Uh, The book is called Sacred Pathways by an author named Gary Smalley. Um, And this is one of the most profound books that I've ever read on the Christian life. And how to grow in your Christian walk, how to grow in your love for Jesus. You see, the beautiful thing about our relationships with Jesus is, is it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Each of us have, have a different personality and a different temperament. And, and the reality is we connect to Jesus in different ways. And I never truly understood that until I read this great book. And in this book, he talks about the fact that, that some people connect with Jesus by being out in nature, I don't know what it is for me, but but I, I feel closest to God when I'm out in his creation, right? That's one of the places, the environments where, where I can easily connect with God. I love going on hikes. I love spending time in the mountains. One of the things that when, when, when my life starts to feel overburdened, one of the things I love to do is grab my canoe and go find some water, which is hard to do in New Mexico. But I just get out on that, that lake and I just spend time with God. And for some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the lack of distractions. Maybe it's seeing the beauty of creation. I find it easy to connect with God in that place. For others, it, it may be through music, right? That's another one for me. Sometimes when I can't get away, if I can just get a piano in an empty room with just me, a piano, and God, I, I connect with him in those ways. For other people, it may be through reading a good book. Um, I have a friend that um, he, he connects through God and through contemplative practices, contemplative Christianity, right? This idea of, of, of meditating on God and, and spending time with God and getting away and, and spending time in silence. And, and I looked at him one day, and I said, man, I, I, I want to learn to love Jesus like you love Jesus. And I said, mentor me, teach me. And he did and it didn't work for me, right? It was, like, it was like, I'm doing all the things you're doing, but it's just not working. I sit there in silence for all of five seconds, and then I'm like, this, I'm out. I can't do this. But what I did learn was there's some practices that I can incorporate. But, but when I found this book, I realized that that's okay. He can connect to Jesus that way, but I don't have to. Right, And, and so in, in this book, Sacred Pathways, he talks about nine different ways that, that we connect with Jesus. And, and you don't have to read the book. If you've been a follower of Jesus of any time, you know what that is for you. You know what those environments are or those activities are where you just feel close to God, those, those places that, that draw you closer to God. My encouragement to you is, is, is find out what those are and then make intentional time to do them. Make them a regular part of your Christian walk. Right, for me, that means that I have to get out in the mountains, right? I have to go out on a hike. I have to to spend time outdoors with my Bible and usually I I have my my AirPods in and I'm listening to worship music or I'm listening to, to scripture. And man, those moments draw me so close to the Father's heart. My encouragement to you is find out what that is for you and invest the time in it. Make it a priority to do those things, to get to those environments, to do those activities that draw you close to God. Right, and you have to make the time. We're all busy people. None of us are, you know, if we wait to find the time, we'll never find it. We have to make the time. We worship, we, we invest in scripture reading and meditation through prayer, through Christian community, and through these environments and activities that draw us closer to God. My challenge to you this morning is is pick one of those five things, right? And say, I'm going to focus on this. For the next season, I'm going to focus on on loving Jesus through worship. I'm going to focus on loving Jesus through his word or loving Jesus through prayer or loving Jesus by being around other people that love Jesus. Or I'm going to find out what that environment or activity is that draws me close to God. Right? You could even Google "Sacred Pathways Summary," and uh, there, there's a lot of summaries that, that give you the nine different temperaments and how we connect with God. Uh, and just find out what it is and, and do it. That's my challenge to you this morning: is to do what what you need to do to grow in your love with God.